0: So tonight what I want to talk about is this um, experience of thought. Thought, perception, papancha, and personality view. It's all a train that follows. It's something that I find just so interesting, so fascinating. And we certainly all um, spend a lot of time in the realm of thought. So... To begin with, it's important to remember, I know we've said it, but so often in meditation we come to feel like you know, we're in some kind of a battle with thought, and that um, you know, the better we're meditating, the less thought we have. And the goal is to somehow get rid of thought, <clears throat> which of course it's not. It's to simply understand what thought is, how it's useful, how um, it functions to get us so confused, through bringing awareness to thought rather than fighting it from tajania when you feel disturbed by the thinking mind remind yourself you're not practicing to prevent thinking but rather to recognize and acknowledge thinking whenever it arises if you are not aware you cannot know that you are thinking the fact that you recognize that you are thinking means you're aware isn't that good news Remember, it doesn't matter how many times the mind thinks, wanders off, or gets annoyed about something as long as you become aware of it. So I know you don't believe that, but that's where we're starting from. So, to begin just by talking about thought, what's so amazing to me, the longer I practice, is how powerfully we get caught in thinking how powerfully we suffer from thoughts. Thought can be very useful, but how it runs our life. Do you have any sense what I'm talking about at all? You know, it's amazing. And we get so uh, immediately into the thought, the content of what we've been trying to point to, and you're getting it, but just, I just wanna you know, emphasize it, is to turn to the awareness and see what is actually a thought. Of all the sense experiences thought is the most ephemeral, isn't it? I mean, the thought a thought is just a thought. That sounds like nothing, but that's actually an incredibly freeing insight. So right now deliberately think a thought. There's a deer in the grass. Just think that thought. What was it? It came from no nowhere. It's gone, right? Probably it's gone. Once I said that, I came back again. That thought is just nothing really, isn't it? It's just like smoke, like nothing. A thought energy, all thoughts are just like that in terms of the the energy of thought. They come together with strong emotion or not. But when we're lost in the content, we don't recognize a thought. All thoughts just come from wherever they exist and they dissolve like clouds back into space. And I, I, I can't remember when it was, but I remember the feeling of the first time that, this, it, that it really, you know, on the insight level, I said, oh, I was all caught up in whatever the heck. Oh, it's just a thought. Just looking at it with no more, it has no more anything than the deers in the meadow. Bah, it's just a thought. As Joseph Goldstein's teacher, Manindraji, always used to say, a thought of your mother is not your mother. Right? just a thought. So we begin by exploring that, but it's so hard to believe. And this is a, from Dingo Kenshi Rinpoche. This mind is always being carried away by one delusion after another. Thoughts of hatred or attachment suddenly arise without warning. Have you ever noticed that? Triggered off by circumstances, and unless seen through with wisdom, they quickly take root and proliferate, reinforcing the habitual predominance of hatred or attachment in the mind. Right, can you relate to that so far? Yet, however strong these thoughts may seem, they are just thoughts and will eventually dissolve back into the emptiness. Once you recognize the intrinsic nature of the mind, These thoughts that seem to appear and disappear all the time can no longer fool you. As clouds form, last a while, and then dissolve back in the empty sky, so deluded thoughts arise, remain a while, and then vanish in the emptiness of mind. In reality, nothing at all has happened. Don't try to think about that too much, but just take it as a possibility. Just like that thought, the deer's in the meadow. It's gone. It's gone. Nothing. Where did it go? You know, wrong question. There's no where. It's gone. Nothing at all has happened. Somebody said at the end of the month-long retreat a, a year or two ago, they were... They were thinking along those lines, and they said, "Oh, this on this month, every day, so many thoughts, so much is going on in the mind. Go through so many mind worlds, don't you?" And then at the end of the month, I realized nothing really happened in the whole month. <laughs> nothing really happened. It's like that. Just to just to you know, open the possibility to look at a thought as a thought. So then then again is the amazing how do thoughts get so solid that we can suffer so much from them? I mean, they're useful too. If we understand thought, we can use thought. We're not hating it, we wanna understand it. But how do they get so solid? And how do thoughts get so solidly um, creating the story and the sense of me? word in Pali, Sakaya Ditti, translated often as personality view, identity view. Steve has mentioned a few times, right, the story of me being created. It's just thoughts, but it feels so solid. So what I want to kind of just take us through, and of course it's it's much more subtle than I could talk, but just to give a sense of the way the, the Buddha kind of described this process. And we don't have to we can see it going on in various ways all the time. Don't have to be on retreat to see it, but just to begin to tune in to see how the thoughts get so taken for solid and create what seems like a sense of me and we believe the whole thing because unexplored, unexamined. So the place that we begin in, in trying to describe all this is uh, that moment of perception. Remember, Steve talked about perception last night. Any time there's a sense door experience, right? So there's, well, the way the Buddha described it, say seeing, dependent on the eye, the eye working, and forms. There's some form, and eye consciousness arises. So when these three things come together, your eyes open and working. There's some form there. There's consciousness. That moment of eye consciousness is seeing. Okay. So that meeting is called contact, and that happens. Just see. But we don't, you know, we're not going to see all of that. Just become aware of seeing. So in that moment of seeing, the perception, as Steve was talking, automatically arises. This is just happening every moment. The perception could be room or person or bird or color, you know, whatever the perception is, that just arises spontaneously. And also, at the same time, arises Vedana that mind that felt sense in them. It's very subtle, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. By the time we're saying that, that's already another perception. But just, so we've talked about that. So these are just happening all the time. Seeing the, the perception of bird, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral, you don't see that, but maybe it just feels a little nice, a little not, you know, no big deal. So it's starting with perception. It's really how we, what we perceive, we think about That's just normal. And it's useful in that that's how we we construct our world. It's not like it's a problem, you know? So when I hit the bell at a certain time, you know, we all agree, oh, thank God, it's the end of the sitting, you know? So we're thinking about it, but that's just the perception of that sound is recognized as bell, and it places us in, it's this time of the day, we're all together in a meditation retreat here at Spirit Rock. And, you know, it's like our whole kind of world can come out of that perception and the thoughts about it. It's useful. You know, if, if we didn't have some kind of agreed perception, the bell would ring for the talk and you're like, what's that sound? Mm-hmm. Bell, what does that mean? Where am I? You know, so have you ever woken up, if you travel a lot, I have a friend who says he actually likes these moments where he'll wake up, and just have no clue in the world where he is, what year it is, sometimes even who he is. You know, just that the perception isn't isn't recognizing anything. But the, the, the delusion isn't making up something. You just go, I don't know. So anyway, it's useful. That's what I'm going to say. Perception and the thoughts that come from it can be very useful. And as we've been describing all along, though, when we say, you know, what's the problem with the calatias, And the, besides, the, they don't feel nice. <laughs> the, the biggest problem is that when is present in the moment, in the conscious moment, you know, the mind and the consciousness in the moment of contact, we're not recognizing it, it actually distorts the perception. I mean, we perceive wrongly, right? We've talked about this. And we don't even recognize it, that we perceive wrongly and then what we per- so, the buddha makes this little list what we perceive sanya we think about chitta so all the thoughts about it and the more we think about it that those thoughts kind of solidify into what he calls a view ditti of yes this is so this is how it is and then that leads to more thinking thought and action so whether it's uh, accurate perception or not this is the process that happens So let me give you an example from a good friend of mine. At the last retreat we taught, someone who comes to a lot of retreats, he wrote me a note and said, please tell this story, but it didn't fit. So I said, you have to come to another retreat, but he's not here, so I'm telling it again now. But anyway, it's a great story to delineate all of this. So a a good friend of mine in Switzerland told me many years ago she was actually sitting her first meditation retreat with Ajahn Semedo, And so in Switzerland, so this was, I don't know, 20, 30 years ago. So at that time, there weren't meditations, Vipassana Meditation Center, so they rented, uh, they have these big, like like summer camp houses in Switzerland where um, they send school children for the summer. So they're big old houses with lots of rooms. But they're only used in the summer. So they're old, they're, you know, built of old creaky wood, they're not insulated or very well built, very noisy kind of things. So in this particular retreat, the, the room they were using for the meditation hall was on what we would call the second floor, and the room immediately below of the same size on the ground floor was the room they were using for walking. So she was sitting, it was a scheduled sitting, so there was a formal schedule, you know, which you're supposed to follow. So she's in the scheduled sitting following the breath, following the breath, and feeling kind of for the first time, you know, oh, finally, you know, I can find the breath. It's just getting a little bit quiet. And then, as I said, it's a really creaky house. You could hear everything. So she starts to hear these creaks, creaks, and the, the somebody walking downstairs in the walking room because you can't do it quietly. And immediately she hears this and aversion, which she didn't recognize, of course, But oh, they're ruining my samadhi. You know, it's getting so quiet. What are they doing walking during the sitting time? This is a very scheduled, you're not supposed to walk during the sitting time, creek, creek, creek. She's getting all worked up about it and then being that it was this part of Switzerland where you follow the schedule. That's just what you do, you know? The train, I've been with another friend. The train was like three minutes late. I am not exaggerating. Well, this never used to happen, you know. <laughs> three minutes late. We're glad if the train even comes. But no. So, so she's hearing the creaks. Every time the creak comes, it's, it's again, you know, feeding the aversion and, and really strengthening. But this is not the way to do it. You're not supposed to walk during the meditation time. But she was there. She wasn't going to leave because the teacher was there and you don't leave. So finally nothing else to do but try to go back and just give it up and go back to the breath. So she managed to do that, to feel her breath, the mind calmed down a minute, and then when she wasn't thinking about it, she was actually just got a little more steady awareness going, she noticed that when that she was actually leaning against the wall. And when she took a breath... <laughs> Her back hit the wall and that was what was making the noise. <laughs> so you see the whole process right there of Sanya the perception the unpleasant vedana which was it might have been the sound but it might have been the thought they reckoned my samadhi all the thoughts about it really hardening, and that takes like, you know, that amount of time. Into This isn't right, this isn't the way things are supposed to be. And then her whole background, you know, of being Swiss. It's all right there. The whole sense of me, and this is who I am, and this is what's right. And then it's a steady awareness without, you know, looking for something. Then the perception cleared. The aversion, and, and the shift of perception showed what was really going on. So once she saw clearly what that was accurate perception was, oh, that's for me breathing. Well, she do you think she kept on being angry at the imaginary person walking downstairs? You don't have to try and get rid of it. It's gone, right? Because it doesn't make any sense because that's not what's happening, right? That's exactly the process both ways that's going on for us all the time. When... Um, the Buddha talked about um, the what's really hallucination of perception, the three characteristics, when we don't recognize the constantly changing nature of every moment of experience, when we don't recognize the unreliable nature, meaning we think this thing is going, I'm gonna be able to land in this and it'll make me happy, you know? I mean, we don't recognize the impermanent and we don't recognize the non-self nature. It's not because we're stupid. It's not because we're just, you know, ignoring. It's because we really are perceiving so frequently, inaccurately, without having a clue that that's what's going on. It's really called, you know, hallucination or perversion of perception. So what we perceive, we think about. What we think about, we complicate. And that becomes, just like that, the story of me. So when we talk about... Well, this is the Dalai Lama. All of our difficulties come through mistaken perception. That's why there's so much emphasis on direct experience and true knowledge. Just recognizing accurately. I mean, you know, that's what I talk about all the time, but it's so amazing to me, the power of it. So I think when, when when we're really talking about what is insight? What is right view? Remember I said the first night, right view, I really like it because it's seeing accurately. And I feel that insight is really a shift of perception. So you could say that my friend had an insight. Oh, it's not that. It's this, making that sound. And then if the steady awareness keeps going, you could see the whole product. Oh, how the mind did all of that. The insight comes simply from the shift of perception that's enabled to occur through steady non-judging awareness, as best as we can do. It allows us to recognize accurately. So the, the way the Buddha described this whole process of getting lost in thought and view, dependent on the I and forms, I consciousness arises, what I said. And this goes for all the other you know, all the other senses, including the mind. The meaning of the three is sense contact. With contact as condition, feeling arises, Vedana. What one feels, that one perceives. What I just said, we feel it, we perceive It, it happens at the same time, really. What one perceives, one thinks about. What one thinks about, one complicates. Or one mentally proliferates. I'm not making this up. This is from the suttas. One complicates. One mentally proliferates with associations, with memories, with the whole, the whole nine yards. Okay, he didn't say that. And <laughs> with these proliferations, with these complications as the source, the mind, the heart is beset. It's assailed by complications by trouble. You get a sense of that? Can you like think of one remote example of when that happened to you in the last like half an hour? <laughs> it's, but it's not personal, this is just what the mind does. So what we perceive, we think about, when the perception is inaccurate and when it's colored by kalatia, the thinking is colored by the inaccurate assumption and the kalatia and it just just explodes into a whole story. And so the antidote, the understanding is again, is the accurate perception that just cuts through the confusion. So in terms of, uh, I wanna talk about this hallucination of perception, the complications of mind, in terms of creating that identity view, that personality view, through thought, moment to moment. So it's really taking us in an exploration into investigating this sense of personality view, not starting by thinking there is no self, so somehow I have to figure out how there is no self and think about it, because that's the whole thing. It's just thinking about it. We're trying to understand something, but we're still, those thoughts are still coming off of an inaccurate perception, a wrong perception. So, you know, all kinds of thoughts. When I when I recognize not-self or anatta, not so if my self vanishes, how do I find the car keys? You know, how do I remember where I live? You know, if there's no self, how do I, you know, tell? You know, kind, we get, it can be stupid, but we can really get into that. Or, if everything's annihilated, I won't care about anything. How will I function? How, as if there's some solid self and you're going to have some big bang experience somewhere down the road and the self's going to explode. <laughs> and then there won't be a self and everything will be different. Well, all that shifts is our perception and the resultant thoughts and views and actions and understandings. Reality doesn't change. That's what's so far out. You know, it's like, it's, like things, it's already impermanence is the nature of things. It's not like we go from permanence and somehow everything falls apart. It's already all falling apart. We just don't recognize that. So when we recognize accurately the reason that we come into such an, it's scary maybe at first, but we come into an ease and harmony because just like my friend recognizing where the sound was coming from, all that fighting and hoof and what'll I do, it drops away. It's like, oh, this is what's happening. This is what's happening. Just at ease. You can like it or not like it, but this is just what's happening. So much simpler. So, in the sense of beginning to explore to recognize this sakaya ditti, the sense of personality view it's just like that we can explore rather than try to get rid of it or pretend it's not there or hate it something explore it it's an experience that arises from moment to moment and passes away just like everything else Buddha buddhadasa that uh the thai Ajan i think we've mentioned he he liked to say uh, it's one of my favorite lines he said the The sense of self is simply a condition that arises when there is grasping or clinging in the mind. All conditions arise due to causes. So the sense of self, personality view, is simply, you know, the thoughts of me, that felt sense of me, simply arises when there's grasping and clinging in the mind. And when the grasping stops, it falls back away. This is going on all the time. The Buddha in one sutta talked about the whole way consciousness works is like a magic show. He says it's like if you had um, a magician, uh, I guess like a, like a magician at the crossroads, you know, in, in, back in rural India and performing all these magic tricks and when you're watching from outside, it's like, wow, amazing, how do they do it? But once you get behind and see the tricks, it's just not amazing anymore, is it? It's like, Oh, that's how they do it, okay. All the magic's gone, but you see how it is. Well, it's exactly the same. He's talking about consciousness with, with Sakaya Ditti, with personality view. It seems, we don't even recognize it, just seems that's how it is. I'm this personality. That's how I am, for better or worse. And it, it's an assumption. And we may work really hard to change our personality and get it better, you know, but we're still assuming that's what we are and we don't really stop to look. And it's so solid because it's not examined or explored. Ramana Maharshi said, ego or the idea of self or personality view, you could put any of those words in there, is like a ghost caused by the play of shadows. Look closely and the ghost vanishes. the ghost was never there. So also with this sense of separate self, personality view, ego, So long as one does not look closely at it, it continues to give trouble. But when one looks for it, it's found not to really exist. And that's really the function and the result, the wisdom that results from the steadiness of awareness just exploring what actually presents itself. One of the... um, the ways that are inaccurate perception in any way, strengthens into thoughts, strengthens into views, one of the effects that has is not recognizing what we believe, we start looking for what we think we already know. And, and so our, instead of kind of just uh, an open, uh, receptive um, mind that just notices whatever's presenting itself, whether it's small or big, but instead of that, the attention is kind of unconsciously skewed to recognize what it's looking for or what's familiar in big, in big examples and small examples. So to give an example, actually it was a, a great example that someone gave in the group today, I hope you don't mind my mentioning it, but since it was in the group about you know walking on a path and getting to the end of the path and seeing the sign that said, don't walk on this path. And thinking, well, why don't they put that sign at the beginning of the path? Because then you could see it. And went back and looked, and it was at the beginning of the path. (laughs) But I was looking, and and, and it was like a great example, because this happens all the time. It wasn't like mindlessly not looking, but went back exploring and seeing that there were these other really big signs that that the mind always gets called to, and so not seeing the little one, and then recognizing that having walked a certain way enough times, we stopped we stop seeing fresh, freshly, and we don't even notice stuff that's already there. Right? Like someone was saying they wanted to, um, you know, put little notes up everywhere to, when they go home to remind themselves to be aware, which is a great idea. And I said my experience has been: how long do I keep seeing those notes? You know, you have to like move them around all the time because after two days you don't even notice it anymore. A sort of selective perception. So that's what we're doing in our experience and in this sense of me, Sakaya Ditti. So how does this kind of magic show of self-story arise? And you've seen it yourself, I'm just gonna give you simple examples. That it can arise with any sense stimulus, right? Any contact. A sight, a sound, a thought, of course, a taste. But have you noticed how often, I think we've mentioned this, how often any sense contact, how quickly do the thoughts come around to something to do with me? Just notice that. Not with any judgment, just is seeing how the mind works. You know. Isn't it nice out? I'm so happy it's warm finally. I remember that first day and it was so windy and now it's warm and I like it warm, but now where I come from, it's even more warm. I was hoping it would be cooler here. You know, you're off. Me, me, me. It just was a, you know, a touch of warm sensation on the skin and it's not bad or good but just that fast the whole sense of me that comes and goes we're not particularly suffering from that but we're that that example but we're not really noticing it so clearly either and then we don't notice when a half an hour later there's a different sense contact a thought comes up and it's like man I forgot to do this, back at home, and then you're back in a whole nother story with a different emotion and a different feeling tone and different memories and different associations, another sense of me. But if you thought about, you know, ten, well, we don't tend to really think, well, that was one arising of Sakaya Ditti, it arose and passed away. This is another arising, it arose and passed away. Do we think that? We kind of think, no, just, it was me, it was behind all of that. You know, not really looking. And then some come together with stronger emotions or stronger feeling tones or stronger thoughts that we really can get caught in. And those are the ones we think, that really is my personality. This is who I am. Like, even though, even that changes too. It's a Simple example, I've used this before. I had it in my notes, but it's a good one. One time I was, I was trying to hang up a shower curtain, something like that, and um, just you know fumbling around i just don't have great dexterity with my fingers and so it was just taking me a while and i'm standing you know on the edge of the bathtub and trying to balance and doing and just just getting you know irritated at myself basically and so it kind of just at that point i just started watching the process we want to say well we shouldn't do it cut the process but then we don't understand anything. And that's just me, another sense of Sakaya Ditti, saying, no, this isn't a good Sakaya Ditti. I'll have this one, so stop the process, right? So just watch it all. So I was watching the whole thing. Ah, clumsiness and the memories that start to come up, you know, the, the thinking about it, the proliferation. And I remember all the times I've been clumsy and I'm not a good athlete. And I literally, this is true, went back to the fifth grade when they put me in the... Um, in the um, rehab gym class <laughs> for those who i don't know couldn't throw a softball more than 30 feet or something i mean it really uh, but with friends i didn't really traumatize me it was with friends i didn't really care i didn't care about gym but, but luckily <laughs> but but you know so my thoughts are back there and right away there's that's my whole my life, you know, it was 40 years ago, my whole personality, this clumsy person who's not an athlete, no nah, 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 and here I am, I can't put up the damn shower curtain, and it's hopeless, and you know, I need someone to do things for, you know, and it just goes on and on. It feels really real, right? It feels really solid, that's who I am. And if we're just, we're not seeing, it's just thoughts and emotions, what's happening right now? I'm not back in the rehab gym class, I'm just standing on the tub, You know, with my fingers a little stiff. And all these thoughts and the moods are coming up. That's all that's happening. It's not the whole story of my life. It's not even me, it's just what's happening. But as long as we don't see thought as thought, don't we bring our attention into the present moment, just what's happening like that, it might still be unpleasant, but it's fine. But when we get sucked into not seeing thought as thought, but the story, if I hadn't been even watching that, you know how that could really take a hold, right? You could go into whatever, it could really take a hold. One that's even a little more, you know, intense than that. And then we can really drop into this is who I am. Sony Rinpoche said, we get into so much confusion and pain by letting ourselves get lost in whatever happens. You project a thought Then the second thought believes the first thought. Then the third, fourth, and fifth thoughts are projected. The first thought is by this time already a reality. By the time the tenth thought comes, it believes the fifth one has always been an actuality. Right? Can you notice that? It's all so solid. And if you turn around and just look what it's thought, they just are smoke. They dissolve into nothing when we turn and look at it. And so this is what we can really do. Over and over, turn and look and see. There's The personality view is arising and passing. Is, it's not the same for a few moments together. Notice tonight, tomorrow, just for fun, not with a version, well, you can't help it if there's a version, but just for fun to see how many different stories of self come triggered by You know, what sense contact? What thoughts come? See how some are more solid than others. And and just see the construction of this magic show and how when the the awareness is a little bit steady and you see it coming and you see it fade away, so, oh, nothing really happened. Then you thought, but that's true. You were in a rehab gym class in the fifth grade. That was true. (laughs) That's got nothing to do with it. That's gone. That's gone. If it's true or not true, I don't even know. Am I making it up? I don't know. No. <laughs> it's just like, but it's gone. What's happening right now is where we're going to be able to be with accurate perception. Ajahn Sumedho says, we create ourselves with our thoughts, then we attach to the thoughts and believe the thoughts, and we don't let in. This is where we get the selective perception. We don't let in perceptions when we're attached to one One personality belief view we don't let in the perceptions that don't fit in with that notice how you do that notice if you ever happen to have self-judgment during this week (laughs) and even if you're aware of it but only sort of aware of it really it's the the thoughts that are really being believed right so say you're judging yourself about whatever it could start from anything i noticed one time when a retreat when I could backtrack and see, I got into like the whole world of my whole life of self-judgment back to all the things I'd done wrong and my bad personality traits and blah, blah, blah. When I really traced it back, there had been a minimally painful sensation in my foot when I was doing walk-in meditation, really. Minimally painful and not really aware of it and so the aversion just kind of colored the perception, went to more, and then some thought or the other came up about, well, you're not really doing it right, and then, boom, gone into my whole life. And in that moment, when you're really believing that personality view, do you happen to remember all the things you really did well in your life? No, and if, you, if it does come up, yeah, but, like remember when I was talking about doing, grat- doing um, generosity, Reflect on the generosity, reflect on gratitude. And if you're in a real, you know, self-judging personality, view snit. And when you first start to do it, it's like, well, I did this really good thing. Ah, oh, you just did it because you wanted people to like you, you know, and whatever you can come up with is gonna be seen through that lens. Nothing else is believed. But then the next day, like, you know, people, several people said today in groups, well, They have really good days and really bad days on retreat. You notice that? And on the good days, wow. Whatever story it is about your life now or about your spiritual life or I finally got this or everything's so clear, whatever it is, the next day it all, (laughs) One Yogi used to say to me, it's all gone to hell in a handbasket. I have no idea what that means, but it's very vivid. You know, it's like, that yesterday, that was made up. This is how it is now. But unexplored, we would still say it's all me. It's all the same me going through this. We don't notice it's two completely different experiences. One completely went away. We don't notice that. The other arose due to other causes and conditions, but the same kind of magic show of creating this sense of self. So just to stop and look get interested in watching how the whole thing comes up, it's, it really gets fascinating. A friend of ours um, described this one time. She um, labels herself an aversive type personality. And she says, and her friends tell her, yes, that's true, <laughs> you are. And so one time she was feeling particularly Identified with that thought and that story and feeling bad about herself and all of that, and she came to sit for the day somewhere. But she was aware of this train of thought going on, and, said, "Yes, I'm an aversive person. I'm an aversive person." So she was just watching her mind in, in, a, in a couple of sittings, and just watching what thoughts come and go, what moods came and, came and went. She'd, she'd done quite some practice by this time, and she said, "Yeah, it's true." quite some aversive thoughts came up, maybe 10% of the thoughts that came up. All other kinds of thoughts and moods and personality stories came, Times, moments of generosity, of calm, of sleepiness, of the whole show in an hour sitting, you know? Each one a different arising of personality view, of perception and thoughts and the view, this is me, and and all the attendant um, confusion and papancha. That's the word for proliferation, papancha. And then reacting to it and suffering from it or liking it. But not, usually we don't quite notice how it comes together, goes away. Comes together, goes away. i this from Ajahn Sumedho. So then the self arises. I start thinking about myself, my feelings, my memories, my past, my fears and desires, and the whole world arises around Ajahn Samedo. It takes off into orbit, my views, my feelings, and my opinions. I can get caught in that world, in that view of me that arises in consciousness, But if I recognize that happening, if I know that, then my refuge is no longer in being a person. I'm not taking refuge in being a personality or in my views and opinions. Then I can let go or it just lets go naturally and the world of Ajahn sumato ends. It doesn't mean Ajahn sumato dies and the world ends or that I'm unconscious. In Buddha Dhamma, the world is the world that we create in consciousness. And this is like, you know, different worlds, moment to moment. That's why we can be living in different worlds. The world of Ajahn Samadha is not going to be the same as the world your mind creates. But both of those worlds arise and cease. And that which is aware of the world arising and ceasing is bigger than it's transcending that world. So our refuge then is in this awareness rather than in trying to sustain our personality view or refined experiences and consciousness because you can't do it. So our refuge becomes awareness rather than our personality. Just notice if your mind's going, "I, I don't like that. It's not saying the personality goes away but it stops being our refuge and as we look more closely we see it's not a solid thing anyway it's really changing all the time and just because as we look more closely into the magic show of the perceptions and the thoughts that come with them and the moods that come with them and all the thoughts you might start to notice to see if this is true for you it's certainly true for in my experience that when the train of thought and description comes together with a really strong emotion, the tendency is to think that it's more true, more real. Especially difficult emotions, I've noticed they have, part of the makeup of the emotion is the story, it's always gonna be this way. Have you noticed that? Even though you've seen it come and go 20 times already in the, in the week, it comes again as like, ah, oh, it's always gonna be this way and it always has been that way. And even though I can remember sort of times it wasn't there, it was really here submerged the whole time waiting to spring, right? But it's not so. Just because a thought comes together with strong emotion not, definitely doesn't make it more true. If anything, it may make it less reliable. But we don't have to argue with it. Remember to turn our attention. Just turn our attention on and see. Ajahn Sumedho, again, he, he talks a lot about this, you know, awareness of it's like this. He talks a lot in these language and the personality view. So he says, just notice when you're really angry or really sad. Notice the difference between I'm angry or my anger or anger is like this. My sadness is so unbearable. I'm so sad. I've been so sad all oh, my life, or all week, to shifting the awareness, to exploring how is sadness manifesting right now? Sadness is like this. Expression of, as Tejaniya would say, sadness is just nature. This is the nature of sadness. This is the nature of anger. This is the nature of clinging. when it's my sadness, it's so much more difficult to be with. So, just trusting to turn the attention. And then we'll see, back to seeing this nature of thoughts. This is from Dingo Kensey again. Yet I is just a thought. I'm so sad. I'm so angry. I'm so useless. Thoughts and feelings have no intrinsic solidity, form, shape, or color. When a thought of anger arises in the mind with such force that you feel aggressive and destructive, is that anger actually brandishing a weapon? Is it at the head of an army? Can it actually do things, crush them like a rock, carry things away like a violent river? No, anger, just like any other thought or feeling, has no definable true existence. Not even a definite location in your body, speech, or mind. You may feel, you know, tightness that is triggered by anger, but you can't actually locate the anger, you know, in your cheek anywhere. It is just, I love this last line, it is just like a wind roaring in empty space. So I love that, when the feeling of strong, difficult emotion comes like anger. I can remember to turn my attention, oh, anger feels like this, and to say, let the wind roar in empty space. Awareness is bigger than the wind. It's bigger than the anger, bigger. You know, awareness can contain everything. I mean, it's not a thing, but it's like awareness can be with anything. So let the anger roar. The hand doesn't have to pick up a club and hit. And it roars and we see it's really nothing. So instead of allowing these wild thoughts to enslave you, you can realize they're essential Um, emptiness, their essential ephemeral nature. If you see through the hatred within, you will discover there is not one single enemy left outside. Otherwise, even if you could overpower everyone in the whole world, your hatred would only grow stronger. So examine the nature of hatred, or put any emotion in there. Examine the nature of anger. Examine the nature of sadness, of greed, of happiness. You will find that it is no more than a thought. When you see it as it is, it will dissolve like a cloud in the sky. And part of, part of why you know, the, the habit of our mind and perception is to sort of resist this, if it does, is that sense of you know, familiarity with personality, belief, the sense of me, the comfort of that, right? A lot of times you say, well, I don't want my personality, my sense of me to dissolve like a cloud in the sky. Quite a few people have mentioned, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, many of us experience, it, I don't want to say everyone, but many, where when um, you're practicing or you're in your daily life and, and the mind becomes peaceful, it becomes calm, there's no big story going on no big sense of me, and often people come into, nothing's happening, kind of upset, kind of worried. Or even more interesting, watching, just kind of watching the mind do its thing and like pick a perception and jump on it and get into this whole papancha of creating a whole suffering story that brings a lot of energy and familiarity and a weird, twisted comfort. Because, well, thank God I'm back again. Even if I'm an angry me, you know, spinning the story, it's familiar, it's comfortable. We like this better than calm. I thought I wanted peace, but I'm not so sure. But we don't have to take it personally like that, but just watching the habit, the sense of self, when it goes away like that, it's very important to learn to feel comfortable. Ajahn Buddhadasa calls it that when when just in the moment there's not a strong sense of self. He calls it voidness. I oh, well, that's the translation into English by Santi Carlo. It's kind of a weird translation. Okay. But just in the, let's just say those moments where you notice a personality view just drops away. I'm, and even if it's a difficult one, I have that that whole self judgment and it just, you know, people say, it just it just goes. It's not like you talk yourself out of it, right? The perception shifts. That's the insight, oh, it's just thought, it's gone. And in that moment, it's just kind of peace or contentment or quiet. There may be some, you know, seeing or hearing, whatever's going on, it's just peace. Sometimes when it's really sudden and lasts a little bit that the mind can get scared. But there's more often where it's just kind of a sudden moment of peace, calmness, no personality view, nothing much going on. Just moment's... He says generate a contentment with those moments. Really notice those little moments of experience. Because when we, not not to grab onto them, then we will, but just to notice personality of you coming together and going apart. And when the sense of me as a failure is gone, notice it's really gone. It's not here now, just notice it's just calm right now. Or there's a sense of happiness, from just feeling the breath or hearing the turkeys. That's just what's happening, nothing much. And then notice our sense of like, you know, dragging the past like a corpse. But before I was feeling so, you know, worthless and probably that's going to come again and I don't want to get too comfortable with this because it's going to go away. Just notice that. That's another arising of personality view and going away. It's really, really so important to let ourselves just touch this you could call it um emptiness i like to call like a the simplicity the simplicity of the mind the heart that's not concocting that's not fabricating a whole sense of me or anything around whatever sense door experience is happening that's just landing here with what is without making any big story about it. There's a Pali word, again Ajahn Buddha Dasa likes to point to it, Atamayata, which the best um, translation is not fabricating, not concocting really, not constructing anything out of what's happening. So in that moment, it's like the mind, the heart, the awareness, it's at peace, it's independent, it's not affected by greed, hatred, or delusion. So whatever's arising, it's met just as it is, and the mind just doesn't concoct anything around it. It's just the simplicity of just being fully here in the present moment. You call it the stillness of the non-reactive mind, but it's not the stillness of no, no experience. It's just the simplicity of things as they have come to be and the, the deluded mind isn't making up a big story about it. It's, in some ways, it's so simple we can't stand it, really. But it's that, that just notice those moments of non-concocting, non-fabricating, contentment with that. Ajahn Sumedho, also said once to a group of uh, teachers, we were talking to him, is about how strongly we get sucked back into believing the personality view, all the different ones, that we don't really trust these moments. Now, this is my, these moments of simplicity, of non-concocting of things as they are. No sense of self. We don't quite trust them. We think, okay, they came, it's a fluke, it's a state, it's an experience, but really, pfft. This is who I am. Ajahn Sameda, who taught, worked a lot in Thailand and then a lot in the West, living in England and here. So he was saying, first, of course, one personality pattern that many of us really believe deep is that self-doubt, right? That self-judgment, that that's the one that gets under us and we really don't recognize it as a pattern arising, but it's just the voice of how things are telling us really what we've done wrong. And so he said, Somado, he said he thought, in his, this is his opinion only, but I think it's very interesting, that in his opinion, the big, biggest hindrance or obstacles for Westerners in, in their practice of awakening is that we have such a strong belief in our personalities. It's really, we, really, um, we rely on, we take refuge in our personalities. We may hate them, but we take refuge in them. We may not even understand them clearly, you know, because we don't see the constantly changing nature. There's patterns, there's recognizable patterns to each of our personalities, just as our bodies are recognizable from each other. But it's all just patterns, shifting patterns. So he says, we have such a strong belief in our personalities, we take refuge in them, so the magic show of the personality view is our reference point. That's where we land. And so when the story comes up, when there's a, a moment of non-concocting or just simplicity, or you just taste that purity, the flavor of heart and mind, you know, the, the pure heart and mind, just, oh, we think, well, so easy we slip back into, well, that can't be true for me. We don't believe it. Our personality view, we believe and the personality view is, it's, we don't trust our, Moments, experience is really the wrong word, but experience of a purity of momentary freedom of recognizing things as they are. You know, okay, maybe, I don't know, but this self-hatred, that's really real. So just, just take the, you know, just, if that makes sense to you, let it in. If it confuses you, let it go. But I think it's really very interesting. So coming back to this simplicity of the non-concocting mind, in a moment when there's papancha's not being created, all this all this proliferation. One time the Buddha said, um, "The end of papancha is the end of suffering," or the uh, you know the line from the Four Quartets by T. S. Eliot, "A condition of complete simplicity, costing not less than everything," because in that moment. Just the simplicity of non-concoction. There's no self-referencing. You know, you're not referencing this back, this sound back to me, this mood back to me. It's just what it is. Nothing more and nothing less. There's no comparing. There's no remembering or extending it into past or future. There's no referencing it back to me. There's no judging. It's just seeing, hearing, thinking, feeling mood, just what it is, a condition of complete simplicity, costing not less than everything. The thinking mind, the personality of you thinks, I don't want to give up everything. But the reality of the pure perception, the accurate perception is, that nothing's being given up. In this moment, this is all there is. It's just recognizing it accurately. Nothing's being given up but our confusion. So I just want to end with a quotation from the Buddha. My friend Fred, he said in Switzerland, I couldn't use it because the language is too complicated, but I hope we can mostly understand it. I like it. This is the Buddha talking about how his mind works, which isn't so much what you'd hear. And he refers to himself as the Tathagata. So he says, the Tathagata does not conceive of a visible thing as apart from sight. Do you get a sense of what that means? There's just seeing. He does not conceive as a separate visible thing. He does not conceive of a visible thing apart from sight. He does not conceive of something that's unseen. He does not conceive of a thing to be seen. He does not conceive about a seer. And then he goes through all the senses in the same way. He does not conceive of a cognizable thing apart from cognition. He does not conceive of something that's not recognized. He does not conceive of a thing worth cognizing. He does not conceive about one who cognizes. Thus, bhikkhus, the tathagata is such in regard to all phenomena seen, heard, sensed, and cognized. Do you get a sense of what that means? It's just, there's seeing, and that's it. It's another way of that famous Bahia Sutta where we're saying, in the seen there is only the seen. In the heard there's only the heard. But he's just saying, when there's seeing, his mind isn't conceiving about something else that isn't being seen. It's not referring back to me, I'm seeing. It's not thinking about here's something seeing and there's something to be seen. It's just not making any distinctions, the whole experience of seeing is everything and all. There's nothing else to think about in that moment. Condition of complete simplicity costing not less than everything. And in that moment, the mind, the heart is pure. The pure heart and mind in that moment is free from suffering. So let's just sit quietly for a moment. To Jitsu, a Japanese nun, she saw that a rising arose, abided, and fell away. She saw that knowing this arose, abided, and fell away. Then she knew there was nothing more than this. No ground, nothing to lean on stronger than the cane she held, nothing to lean upon at all, and no one leaning." and she opened the clenched fist in her mind and let go and fell into the midst of everything. Thanks for your kind attention. And, of course, the usual sitting schedule tonight. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.